welcome to the Matters of Movement podcast. Join me in exploring all the things that impact our movement and how we can all strive to move better to feel better. As I interview movement experts, researchers, and real people who have made big and inspiring changes in their lives by turning to movement and wellness. Thank you for tuning in to the Matters of Movement podcast. Today, we have Jay Baum. Welcome to the podcast, Jay. Hello. So excited to be chatting with you. Oh, me too. We have a great conversation lined up. I'm going to cover your bio and let it speak for itself. Jay is a registered dietitian with 10 years of experience working with families. She is the owner of Pometa Nutrition, a private practice based in Toronto where she applies an intuitive eating approach with an emphasis on eating competence. Former professional chef and a mama of two, Jay knows her way around the kitchen and has first-hand knowledge of the challenges that go along with feeding kids. Jay helps parents raise body confident kids through food positive parenting, which includes factors such as mealtimes, movement, self-esteem, and ditching diet culture. Amazing. So let's dive in because I, as a mom, and I know I am not alone, we're all dealing with issues around food. And I love how we're going to tie all of this into movement. So How can parents uncouple exercise from food intake and promote an environment that encourages their kids to engage in activity that's fun and joyful for them? Yeah, this is a big question. (laughs) So it sounds, sometimes it sounds funny coming from me, a dietitian. So I always talk about food. People come to me specifically about food, but what I notice the more I work with families, the more I work with parents is that you can't un, you can't just talk about food. Like food involves so many other things. And what I know, so I turned 40 this year. I grew up in the eighties, the nineties, you know, really immersed in that diet culture sort of view. You know, I remember, you know, early Christmas presents being things like those get in shape girl, um, videotapes. And my best friend's mom was an aerobics teacher, but like a super eighties aerobic teacher where it was all like super restrictive foods, like diet foods in the home all the time. We would do buns of steel with her for fun. And so what I think has happened is that, um, many of us who grew up that way just have this view that the purpose of exercise and movement is to change the way our body looks. And so what I started noticing is that parents, um, they may have been moving away from that themselves, especially when it comes to their kids. But diet culture is so pervasive that the way we talk about our bodies just comes out over and over and over again. And so a lot of what I do with parents is actually language swaps and mindset shifts around food and exercise to uncouple it. One thing I was just thinking about, I I did an Instagram post recently where I kind of made like – I'm, I'm a pretty sarcastic person and I, I made this joke about like I had a picture of my kids who are, um, four and eight and they were wearing this ridiculous sort of workout gear and they were just being silly. Um, and then after they were dancing around the house, they sat down on the floor and they started eating 
can't remember, it was like cheese it crackers or something like that. And I made this joke about like, um, sure, you can have, you know, 10 Cheez-Its after you do, um, you know, 10 laps around the house and five push-ups and things like this. And I got so many comments, like people were like, oh my gosh, I never thought about that. I would never say that to my kid, but that is exactly how I think about food and exercise. And so sometimes just kind of like flipping the script can, you know, kind of highlight some of these weird ways that we have told ourselves to think about exercise. Yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting because I see it, I'm starting to see it in my nine-year-old she's mm-hmm. she's becoming a tween you know she's like just a year I don't even know when when the borderline happens but you know we're at this point now where she's really starting to focus on her own body shape and the food that she's putting in her body and she's rejecting all the food in our house and I'm like what is happening and you know and I'm trying to think of all the ways that I might have contributed to some of this, this idea in her head. So it's killing me. So now I'm trying to backtrack and go like, well, what have I been saying? And, and, you know, crossing my fingers and hoping that we'll all be okay at the end. (laughs) And I think what you said there really, like, it hits, you know, like it gets me in the heart because I think as parents, we, we often think that way, right? Like we're like, we start seeing this behavior and we, we get worried and we think, oh my goodness, is this because I said something or because, you know, the way I've been approaching exercise? But, you know, I think, um, we have to give ourselves some grace because it's, it's not, it's not something that you said or did. It's sort of the overarching culture. And mm-hmm. so what we have the power to do is to show our kids um, why we love movement and why we love exercise and all the benefits that go along with it that have nothing to do about changing our our body's shape or size. And then the same thing with food, right? So I think mm-hmm. what we often think about, like when we're saying, you know, I was looking at some research recently and it's specifically research on self-esteem for kids. And Mm -hmm. so what we're seeing in the research is that age five is actually the age when a lot of kids start to show preference for either like girls, it seems to be more the preference for the thin ideal and for boys, the muscular ideal. Um, Mm -hmm. And and that most of this research is in the States and most of it is around, you know, um, white uh, females. So we don't have a lot of good research for uh, boys and we don't have a lot of good research for marginalized bodies at this point. But what we see, you know, at this point is that, yeah, at five, that's when kids start to have this preference. And so we need to start talking about um, like basically calling out diet culture early mm-hmm. and and yeah. letting our kids know all the reasons why their bodies are good bodies. Absolutely. And, you know, I, we live on a farm and so I'm constantly encouraging the kids to move, to move their bodies and being a movement educator and that being my profession, often I'm just like, girls, let's just move. Let's just move our bodies. Look how strong you are. Look at what you're capable of doing. And I really 
And I feel like in the last little while, since I've been really focused in on my own business, my language around movement has changed also, which has been really nice because it's not just around, again, like changing your body shape. It's around having fun Mm -hmm. and it's around just you know, moving energy through your body. You know, I, I always, when the kids try to push back, I tell them, listen, you're going to feel better. I promise you, you'll feel better when you're done. And so that's my focus is to try and change their, their mindset through movement. Yeah. I love that because it's so true, right? You notice, I mean, I mean, for ourselves, like I certainly notice that if I sit at my computer and work all day, I feel really bad afterwards. Um, kids are the same. I notice, you know, right now, um, so last week we had some really, really rainy days. And so the kids didn't go outside at all at school. And they came home and they were just not their best selves at all. And so like on Friday, I was just like, okay, after dinner, we're going for a walk. It doesn't matter that it's raining. We're going to put on our gear. We're going to go outside. And as soon as they got like, they complained and they didn't want to go outside. But as soon as they went outside, it was like, totally different children, way happier. And then they didn't want to come inside. Like I had to pretty much drag them back home because they were having so much fun. And then, you know, they sleep better and all of these things. So I think that is so important, teaching kids. So we talk about this with food, but with exercise as well, talking about how do you feel, right? Mm -hmm. That's so powerful. Absolutely. And you know what? I've never ever asked my kids how they feel after they've eaten food (laughs) yeah I feel like I've had this huge light bulb (laughs) moment like what my mind is blown but of course I mean I, I think about how I feel after I eat food all the time but I don't think I've ever actually verbalized that yeah I mean as parents we're usually focused on just making sure they're getting the That's proper right. nutrition into them. Um, but yeah, asking them, you know, like how their tummy feels, um, what it is they like about certain foods. I mean, all of these little skills to help kids tune in to their internal cues, whether it's, you know, food, exercise, sleep, all of these things really help them just be more mindful and figure out what their body needs. Absolutely. And, you know, I notice often after they've eaten a certain type of food, whether it's, you know, laced with sugar mm-hmm. <laughs> or, you know, mostly sugar, you know, that their that, that their energy levels are like skyrocket and that they're, they get, you know, a little hyperactive. And so I'll be like, see, see what's going on. <laughs> but I don't actually <laughs> ask them to think about how they feel, right? I'm only telling them how their behavior appears in my eyes, mm-hmm. but I never actually ask them to, you know, to try and focus inward. So that I'm going to be changing that. Yeah. With food and things like that, I love asking my kids, like, if they're really cranky about something or they skipped a meal and then they're starving. I'm like, did you do anything different today? Is there any reason why you think maybe you just don't feel so good? And my eight-year-old 100% can usually pinpoint these things and I do not have to tell him. My four-year-old is getting to the point where there are some times where he can occasionally start to pinpoint some things. Mm. Oh, that's great. I'm going to be giving you some feedback later on about how this goes in my family. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) 
So do you feel like there's a point where a parent should be worried that their child is doing very little activity and is eating a lot more food? Yeah, so this is absolutely a question I get all of the time. Um, and and yeah, like I think that there are points where parents get worried and, and I hear this a lot right now because in general, so I guess it depends a lot where you live. Like I live in Toronto. We're in a very densely populated neighborhood. Um, you know, the school is huge. So even though my kids are going to school, they're not doing a ton of outdoor time when even when they are, it's in very small spaces and they're only, they're not allowed to play, you know, the way they used to play. So I'm hearing this, like I see it in my own neighborhood. I hear it from my clients. And, you know, what I what I start thinking about is, okay, well, telling kids usually is not going to work. So telling them that they need to exercise more, telling them um, that they're not active enough, telling them, you know, maybe you're, you should try and eat more of this versus that. It usually doesn't work. So with food, um, I really use the it's a method called the division of responsibility. And so the idea really is that um, the parent is responsible for what, where, and when, and then the kid is responsible for how much to eat of the food offered. And that's really the key. So, you know, if you notice, and and I, I think sometimes we notice these behaviors first in our kids, but then we start thinking about it and we go, well, yeah, like I'm not moving. I'm not getting outside. I'm not eating any vegetables, right? And so, so we kind of notice like this trend happening. And so sometimes it's just thinking about, okay, well, how as a family can we maybe make some small changes that make us all feel better? So maybe that means that like we're thinking about, okay, well, maybe, I mean, one thing I see a lot right now is that people have kind of stopped meal planning because they're home. And so then they end up like, okay, it's five o'clock. It's, you know, I'm finished work for the day. Now I have to get food on the table and we're really rushed. And so I find for a lot of families, what happens then is that we tend to just throw carbs and protein and no vegetables or very little vegetables or vegetables as a side thought, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So just thinking about, okay, well, what is happening across the board? And I find for most kids, it's, it's modeling that behavior and providing the structure and they'll come around. So division of responsibility works really well with food, but I find that it actually works with exercise as well. And so when we think about it, it's that if you tell your kids like constantly like, oh, just go play out in the backyard. Some kids that might work and some kids that just won't work at all, right? And so it's thinking about, can we provide a bit of structure? Can we, you know, maybe thinking about, you know, some of the safety pieces depending on what age the kids are and really thinking about the opportunities. And so maybe it actually means like, okay, as a family, we need to go on an after dinner walk every night. And, and so providing those opportunities and modeling them. Um, but yeah, it's normal to get worried. And I think right now we're seeing that across the board for most families. Yeah. Well, especially where we are, you know, it's a lot colder. It's a lot Mm -hmm. less, you know, inviting to go outside. It's colder where we are specifically, it's really windy. So um, the winter wind is, it can be pretty bitter and and uncomfortable. So thankfully we have a really big barn that the kids can kind of run around in, which is wonderful. But But I think also, you know, 
as much as getting outside is so crucial, at least for our family. And I know for everyone, I try to encourage Mm -hmm. people to get outside as much as possible, you know, like dance parties, you know, just doing like, we love the family dance parties. (laughs) (laughs) Last night I asked my, my three or my four-year-old, he just turned four. I asked him like between dinner and bedtime, I was like, um, his brother and his dad were doing something and I said, okay, I'll do whatever you want. What do you want to do? And he was like, dance. <laughs> and so we danced for yeah. 30 minutes. Right. And it's oh. just like pure joy for him. Yeah. Yeah. We also play a game called the twenties. And so we get, you know, I do it with the girls and cause we're at home doing online learning. My son is at uh, daycare. So we, take turns introducing an exercise that we have to do 20 times, like 20 reps of every exercise. And so I'll be like, okay, let's do the twenties. And so, and it often just ends up being this super silly, funny activity where it gets our heart rate up and we're tired when it's over and we might only have moved for 10 to 15 minutes, which is awesome. I love that. I bet the kids come up with some pretty funny things too. And then, of course, my nine-year-old likes to, you know, she she likes to think that she's too cool to participate sometimes. So then just me and the younger one really get into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I'm noticing um, also, you know, that my kids are moving less and they're eating more. And I'm noticing, you know, that they're, that they're gaining weight you know, which I have not said a word about, obviously, but I'm just noticing, I can just see. And, um, and my uh, younger daughter, her pants have been getting a little bit tighter. And so I don't quite know how to navigate that with her. Because I don't want to say, you know, that she's gained weight, I don't want that to be a focus for her. But I want her clothes to be comfortable. So I kind of ordered some like size, I sized up a little bit. Mm-hmm. But how do you, how would you address that with kids? Yeah, I mean, so I usually, anything to do with bodies, like I approach with mm-hmm. curiosity. So we have this mm-hmm. general rule that um, you can't talk about other people's bodies. So, right. you know, like if you're out, you know, in public or if you're at a family's house. And I really reiterate this, not just like they can't talk about other people's bodies, but if people make comments on my kids' bodies, um, I immediately shut it down and show my kids like, no, that that's not okay. Um, right. But at the same time, um, I want home to be a really safe space and I want them right. to be able to talk about whatever it is. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, if kids are mentioning things or, or like you said, your daughter was talking about, you know, certain foods, I just approach it with curiosity and see where it's coming from. Because sometimes it comes from, you know, just like things that they see on TV or, you know, online. Sometimes it comes from things that other kids or other adults are saying to them. And so just really approaching that um, openly and then and then seeing, you know, what their thoughts are on it. But the overarching thing that I always want kids to understand is that um, there's nothing wrong with their body. Their body will change over time. And yeah. uh, the most important thing is that they're learning to care for and respect their body. And, and that can look very different, right? So, so some, so I do see right now that some kids, you know, are 
I think even kids in families that are doing really well right now, um, mm-hmm. kids are struggling, right? Like they don't have the same social interactions. Many right. kids are doing schooling online. Um, mom and dad, even if they're doing well, um, we're more stressed. There's more anxiety yeah. in general. And I think kids notice this. And so thinking about it, because there are, you know, like maybe kids are using food a little bit to soothe. and there's nothing wrong with that. We all eat emotionally. Emotional eating is actually part of normal eating. But then it's yeah. maybe thinking about, do they have other sort of soothing mechanisms, coping mechanisms? Is it boredom? And so just sort of figuring that out. Um, and then recognizing, you know, at, at the, you know, once kids kind of hit 9, 10, 11, um, it's normal for them to put on weight. And Mm -hmm. especially once kids hit puberty, they're going to put on weight too. And so just really normalizing some of those things and then having those open conversations all the time. Yeah. So good. I think one of the things you said that really caught my attention was that emotional eating is normal eating. Yeah, it is. Although diet culture wants to tell us otherwise. But so that's, this is the trick with diet culture. It literally tells us like food is just fuel. And we, I mean, anybody who eats and actually thinks about it, we know that's not actually true. I mean, every single culture in the world uses food to celebrate, uses food, you know, for like, in times of grief, um, spirituality, religion. And so we know food is about connection and community as well. And so that is part of normal eating. Um, but, you know, if it gets to the point where it's like, that's the only way we can soothe ourselves, that's the only right. way we can cope with stress, that's a problem. And it's the same for most things, right? I mean, we can think about it as exercise too. I use exercise as a stress relief for myself. But, yeah. you know, if it gets to the point where I'm like doing excessive exercise and I'm actually physically harming myself because I have an injury, but I still need to go for a run, that's also a problem, right? So mm-hmm. all of these these health behaviors taken, you know, kind of as the sole coping mechanism, it's not healthy. The same mm-hmm. with food. It is part of normal eating, emotional eating, yeah. normal. Yeah, yeah, normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's so, I mean, it's so true because, uh, you know, a lot of people really focus in around, it's like, oh, well, I'm emotionally eating. You know, I broke up with my boyfriend. I'm eating the tub of ice cream kind of, you know. And how many times is that depicted in the media? so often but then how is that received you know from the people that are watching does it normalizing it is it is it creating stigma around it well yeah i I think it's how it's approached so like if it's approached as like great you know i'm having a crappy day i need cupcakes great. Maybe that's just fine. But then what we often see happen is all of the language that happens, you know, 
on it. It's like we hear things yeah. like I, I recently, I can't even remember where I saw this. So there was some, there was, a, it was on TV and it was something about, and my kids were in the room and we had a conversation about it, but it was something about, um, you know, somebody got broken up with and then they were overeating like foods that they had deemed were bad foods. And they basically were talking about, you know, diet starts tomorrow. I need to get my revenge body on. And, and so, so that I would argue is not, um, emotionally healthy. Right. And so anytime, and I don't actually, um, prevent my kids from hearing things like that. And I don't just shut it down. Anytime stuff like that happens, I use that as a, a way to start a conversation about it. Like, what did you think about that? And, and, and then just reiterating the norms in our household. So another thing, of course, you just are dropping so many amazing things. This whole idea around what bad foods are. And I know I have been guilty of, you know, telling the kids that certain foods are not as healthy as other as other foods are and maybe i have said that they are bad foods it's very possible so oh man we all say it (laughs) so what do we how do we approach this because we want to encourage healthy eating how do we get around this idea of compartmentalizing and yeah so that's a great question because i mean as adults, you and I, we both know that not all foods have the same nutritional value. Like I know that ice cream is not as healthy as, you know, salad. Okay. So this is a fact. I know this. Um, but then what I, what I think about is kind of what can your kids understand cognitively, right? So under the age of about 10, most kids are really concrete thinkers and even older, right? So they really think about, um, black and white kind of scenarios. So if a food, a food is either always good or always bad, a food is either always healthy or, you know, always unhealthy and they they don't kind of understand that spectrum. So Mm -hmm. I find that labeling things um, sort of with a moral value uh, is unhelpful because they they just don't have the capacity to understand that. So, you know, why is it okay to sometimes eat chocolate, but not always? Why is it, you know, that if I really like this food and it's a bad food, does that, like some kids actually internalize it and start feeling guilty every time they, they eat something that's been labeled bad? And, and so this is why I say trying to get rid of all of the moral language around food for kids. And even when we're talking about it as ourselves eating it. And then what I think about is more that I want all foods. So I talk about food neutrality and I know that, you know, like we said, not all food has the same value nutritionally, but I want there to be the same energetic pull for foods. So an example would be, you know, um, my kids love fruit. And so they get so excited over the first strawberries in our garden every season. I would argue that they get just excited over those strawberries is they get about their birthday cake. 
right? Yeah. So it's it's that kind of thing because if we let kids um, experience like joy and wonder around food, there's going to mm-hmm. be food from all aspects. Um, you know, things like oh my goodness, purple carrots. My kids love purple carrots. Or, you know, you're thinking about, um, so with the food neutrality piece, what we really kind of think about is that you want them to be excited about all foods, want them to be into trying all foods and liking all foods. And then the way you get them there is by repeatedly giving them balanced meals. So I work with a lot of kids who are, you know, between the ages of four and six. And most of them, if they, they're generally continuously presented with, say, a balanced snack, mm-hmm. they can in, in almost like intuitively put together a balanced snack themselves that has like protein, fiber, and fat without knowing right. anything about protein, fiber, and fat. So they'll know like, right. okay, a cookie on its own is not a great snack, but mom always serves a cookie with, you know, apple slices and peanut butter. That's a great snack. And they don't know yeah. anything about nutrition. So it's that modeling right. over and over again. One thing I wanted to say, I was looking at one of your Facebook posts and you were talking about the role of play. Mm-hmm. And I love the idea of incorporating play in movement and in so many aspects of our lives, but you like to incorporate play with food. I so do. <laughs> I want you to tell me why you think it's so important. Yeah. I mean, I think that sometimes we we just get really serious about things. And mm-hmm. I think food is one of those things where we have the tendency as parents to just, I mean, this will sound harsh, but I think what happens is that sometimes as adults, we kind of lose the joy out of eating and we roll that into the way we feed our kids. And, and when you think about it, so the, one of the things that you probably are going to do the most when it comes to parenting is feeding your kids. So if every meal feels like a chore to you and every, you know, um, family meal is just not a great experience, that's a lot of negativity in life. And that, it just pains me, you know? And so what I tell parents, you know, okay, if, first off, if, if meals generally are more often than not, um, an unpleasant experience or a stressful experience for the parents or the kids, it's probably time to get some help. And yeah. Then the other thing I say is like, how can we make it more fun? So there's a lot of strategies I use. So with kids, if they're feeling anxious about food, um, exposing them to um, exploring food outside of a meal can be so powerful because they feel no pressure to eat it. So this is actually why for a lot of kids, having play kitchens, having play food, having drama centers um, Mm -hmm. just gives them so much capacity to 
unpack some of those feelings around uh, foods and any other stressors, really. And then mm-hmm. it also gives parents this really great opportunity to see what kids think about food. So one activity that I often do with, with parents as like a play activity is that you each create each other's like, so this might be a kid who's a little bit older than say a toddler, right? They could draw. Yeah perhaps, or they'll make each other's grocery list. So like have your, your, you know, six-year-old make you what they think you would put on the grocery list and you make their grocery list, or you each create your own restaurant and you each create Mm -hmm. a menu. And it's just a great way of kind of seeing what's happening with food in the family. And it makes it fun, right? And we forget it's supposed to be fun. Food is fun. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I think I I approach meals with a lot of stress because I feel like feeding kids can be the most unrewarding part of being a parent because you put time and effort into things and they don't yeah. like it. You know, something that they liked yesterday, they don't like today. Absolutely. You know, my, <laughs> my daughter who's nine um, is rejecting all the food we normally eat. So she's not eating these days because... You know, and so so we're having arguments around food. Oh, so, you know, I'm feeling like how, other than play, what are some other strategies around bringing more joy to the table, you know, yeah. so to speak? <laughs> yeah. So I like to make it a rule that we don't talk about food at the table, actually. So okay. I find that when there are, so you said like, you know, meals turn into arguments, Um, And so what's often happening at that point is that, you know, as parents, we're perhaps trying to get our kids to eat specific foods and Uh our kids are pushing back. And so anytime that there's kind of like that headbutting happening, I usually Uh say just take a deep breath, step back and think about it, like go back to that division of responsibility is somebody doing somebody else's job? Like, are you doing your kid's job by trying to get them to eat the food? Or is your kid doing your job by by basically dictating, you know, what food should be served or is getting served? And I find that most of the time as parents, um, I mean, barring, say, like, some, you know, medical condition where we really have to focus on specifics around food, most of the time, it's because we're, we're overly, we're getting overly invested. And so this is where that piece around is so unrewarding. It's because we're we're too invested in it. We need to sit yeah. back and just enjoy our own meal. And, right. and so you gave a beautiful example earlier about the exercise. Like you said, um, your oldest sometimes acts like she's too cool to, to do the dance yeah. party. And yeah. you just go and have fun with your youngest kids. And yeah. That's that. It's exactly the same with food. So if you prepared something you enjoy eating and other people in the family enjoy eating, sit down and enjoy it. Talk about Mm -hmm. something other than the food. And then if your your daughter decides to eat it, great. If she doesn't, well, that's just the way it is. So what happens when they don't eat the food? What do we do then? Because then they're going to want snacks later on. What, yeah. How do we deal with this? So I, I'm pretty um, big on structure. So really saying like, okay, this is when meals and snacks are offered. And you may need to tweak this, right? Because I'm never saying like you want your kid to be hungry. 
Um, but then also thinking about, okay, is there one item at each meal that your kid would eat if they're hungry? And so we could, we call this considerate without catering. And the idea really is that you're offering something. And honestly, I don't care if it's bread, if it's, okay. you know, fruit, um, if it's, you know, the quote unquote dessert, like a yogurt or, you know, a cookie or something mm. like that. Because the idea is if you're having regular snacks, if, you know, you're always offering at least one food that your kid will eat if they're hungry, they're not actually going to starve. It's not right. sort of that old school approach where it's like, I know when I, I was growing up, it would be like, um, I don't know, like something that, there was just nothing that any of the kids would eat. It would be like yeah. spaghetti with clam sauce, but everything's all mixed in and frozen peas and you eat that or you sit at the table until you're finished and you yeah. don't get anything until breakfast. So it's not as harsh as that, right? It's still having boundaries, but a little bit more kind boundaries. Right. Yeah. I think there is a picture of me sitting at the table when I was a child with a whole bunch of peas in front of me, which I was refusing to eat. And I had to sit there for the longest time until I finally swallowed them down with my milk. Yeah, exactly. I think that's how many of us were raised. And, you know, some kids, you can ask them. So this is the interesting piece about pressure. I would say a lot of it comes down to temperament. Um, and same with pressure around activity. So some kids, you can just say, okay, you need to go outside and, and you know, you and your brother go outside and play for half an hour and they'll be fine with it. You say, yeah. you know, I'd really like it if you try a bite of this food and if you don't like it, you don't have to eat anymore. And the kids are just fine with it. They just do it. Okay. It's no big deal. But if yeah. you have um, a kid who then it causes them to get really anxious, like it causes tears, it causes, you know, meltdowns. Um, they, they're, they're so strong willed that they will sit at the table until like midnight if you let them and never eat yeah. a bite. That's a clear sign that that method just isn't going to work. Right. 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 Yeah. Okay. I want to circle back to the movement aspect and are there signs that we should look out for that could be red flags that our children are over exercising and under eating? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that, um, there definitely are. So, so one of the things that I, so food wise, what I start thinking about is, um, are there whole, a lot of kids? It'll be like they'll start avoiding whole food groups, essentially. So they'll they'll have heard, you know, carbohydrates are bad, and so they'll stop eating things like bread or pasta, things that you you know they like. Um, mm -hmm. They've typically eaten well, and they just are always just rejecting it. Um, so then I I kind of start to explore like what's happening with that in a, a curious sort of way. Other things that I commonly see happen would be, um, you know, t like timing. So some kids will start saying things like, you know, they typically ate breakfast really well and then they're refusing to eat breakfast. Um, they won't eat until noon or they'll have some rules that start popping up like, oh, I don't eat, you know, after dinner, I don't eat anything else anymore. I don't. And they were before having a bedtime snack. Um, so it's sort of more that, you know, your kids well. And so when you start seeing behavior that seems 
unusual around food, it's usually a good idea. Just it might be nothing. Sometimes preferences change. Um, it might just be exploring a little bit about what's what's happening with the food. And then when it relates to exercise, um, I often start listening to language. And so kids will start, you know, talking sometimes about their bodies um, in negative ways. And so that is a flag for me and kind of exploring that. And also if kids start using language around like, and this is something that, that they often start parroting what they hear other adults say, like, oh, I, you know, I can't have dessert today because I didn't do any exercise or um, I I need to go. And even re- I hear this from really young kids sometimes, like language, like um, I need to do, you know, uh, an extra two laps around the track today at practice because I mm-hmm. ate X, Y, and Z at, at lunch, right? And it sounds, it sounds so silly when I say these things, but I hear it all the time from young kids. So what you're really looking for is anything that kind of is, um, their food rules. They're putting some, they're, they're doing some kind of food rules. And sometimes for kids, the food rules don't actually make sense. Like they don't make sense in a way that like as an adult, we could say like, if I'm cutting out, you know, this many calories and I'm doing this much more exercise, I'm going to lose weight. Like it, it could be really weird things. Like you'll see kids that, that think like, oh, um, I'm not going to eat sugar anymore, but drinking pop is still fine, right? So, some, but it's just more that anytime they start having food rules, that's a flag for me. Okay. All right. Such amazing information. Is there anything else that you want to add that you feel like would fill out this episode? Well, I'm really excited that you're doing this podcast because I actually love, like, I think that, you know, food, but also exercise. And we often think of them in such narrow ways. And we don't think about all of the ways um, that our life and, um, you know, sort of like our our previous history uh, can really impact the way we think about movement and the way we think about um, food. The other thing that I I really am so passionate about is the language. And so even the fact that you're calling it movement is just excellent because that is what it is. Um, You know, we often think of things like exercise as, you know, punishment or, or or we think of food as a bribe or a reward. So really just getting back to, you know, what, what does it make it? our body feel like? How are we making ourselves feel more at home in our body? And I think that anytime we're having conversations about this, it's excellent. And that there is not ever one single way to exercise, to eat. And so just being, the more we talk about that, the more it kind of shoots down those really narrow views and the more it helps our kids have tools to be healthy and to think about like health in a much more expansive way. So I love that. Yeah. Oh, amazing. I, I feel like I'm going to take so much of this away from, um, you know, and bring it into my own life. I feel like I'm going to just 
deal with things a lot differently and uh, try to just bring a lot more joy. I mean, I talk about bringing joy to movement all the time. Like, mm-hmm. like every day I talk about bringing joy to movement. And I think that our food at our, at our home at least needs to, <laughs> needs to have an influx of joy. Yeah. So it's all connected. Yes, it is. And that's what I say to people. I'm like, oh, you know, my, my feet are hurting and my knee hurts. I'm like, well, it's all connected. <laughs> so this is, it's just the same vocabulary. So at the end of every episode, I talk a little bit about my Move Better, Feel Better campaign. Mm-hmm. I, I am selling some tank tops that have Move Better, Feel Better on them. And the profits go to the Women's College Hospital Foundation and the and Black Women in Motion, mm-hmm. and specifically to women's mental health. So what does Move Better, Feel Better mean to you specifically? Yeah, so it, this baby speaks to my background in food, but I had a Pilates teacher who would um, would always talk about, you know, figuring out ways to make the exercise work for your individual body. Mm, and it's a good teacher. <laughs> and so I love that because I think, you know, that's the key. It's it's the individuality. And so we often think, you know, um, I, I can't do that. <laughs> and and so I think yeah. for me, it's like maybe you can't do that exactly that way, but let's figure out a way to move in a way that makes it feel delicious. So delicious in your body, you know, and that's kind of how I approach life. Like I want everything um, as much as possible to be something that makes you feel good and just like luxurious. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. (laughs) I love that so much. So good. Listen, I feel like people are going to want to work with you. So where do they find you, Jay? Yeah. So right now I'm spending a lot of time on Instagram um, because it's fun. (laughs) And so um, I'm at Feeding Kids Intuitive Eating. And there I really do focus a lot on on the the, um, family nutrition aspect, because I think that's what a lot of people have or maybe it's just more thought provoking because we often haven't thought about it as much um, in how we're we're teaching our kids to learn about food. And um, my website is pometta.com. So my my business is Pometta Nutrition. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today. I love this conversation. It was very fun to chat with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening in to Matters of Movement, the podcast. I am your host, Christina Whalen-Chabot, and you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Matters of Movement. And if you want to buy a tank top or just check out my website, you can do that at mattersofmovement.ca. In order for our podcast to reach a bigger audience, you can show your support and love by subscribing to reviewing and rating this podcast. See you next time, where we will continue to explore all matters related to movement together.